If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Britain stands apart slightly in that it's not engaging in the project. You know, at least America is having the debate about Confederate statues. At least Lithuania and Ukraine are trying to work out what to do with Stalin and Lenin. But we have done nothing, basically, and we've characterised students who want roads to come down as a bunch of snowflakes. That was Afwa Hirsch discussing the historical legacy of some of Britain's most famous figures. You're listening to the History Extra podcast from BBC History magazine. We're the UK's best-selling history magazine available in print and several digital formats all over the world. Find out more at historyextra.com forward slash subscribe or look out for us in your digital newsstand or app store. Hello and welcome to the History Extra podcast. I'm Rob Attar, the editor of BBC History magazine. Starting today, the 29th of May on Channel 4, is a new series, The Battle for Britain's Heroes in which the writer and broadcaster, Afwa Hirsch, considers whether the likes of Nelson and Churchill need to be reappraised, in light of some of the less appealing aspects of their characters. She spoke to our world history editor, Matt Elton, who began by asking how she'd first got involved in the project. In August 2017, I was watching the news, as so many other people in Britain were, about Confederate statues in the US, and they became a lethal flashpoint. You know, people were literally being killed, there were protests, and I noticed a kind of, what I felt was a complacency in the attitude of a lot of people here watching that story, feeling very comfortable criticising American history and its history of racism and white supremacy. And I felt that we have our own skeletons in our closet in this country. And I thought that we were feeling far too ready to um, be critical of, of other histories, but not examine our own. And in that spirit, I wrote a column for the Guardian newspaper about Nelson, about Admiral Nelson and Nelson's column in Trafalgar Square, saying, based on the history that I'd researched, that he is what we would now regard as a white supremacist and that I wasn't comfortable with the way we glorified him without any context as to what he stood for and who he was allied with. And my column went completely viral and turned me into kind of public enemy number one in some uh, in some quarters. And it got people talking, though, and that is what I wanted ultimately. I wasn't trying to be provocative. I was writing something based on evidence. But I realised that this was really a conversation that needed to be had. And it was in that spirit that Channel 4 began talking to me about how we could um, continue that debate in a broadcast medium. And it grew into 
to an idea that I started working on with Banjo, which is a production company founded by David Olusoga and Mike Smith, who's a former BBC commissioner. And now it's evolved into a project where we are looking in a broader sense at our relationship with history and how statues come to symbolise some of those aspects of the past that we may or may not be willing to confront. So that's really interesting. Thank you. So rather than being situated in any particular country, you see this as part of a global thing that's happening at the moment throughout the whole world, I suppose. Absolutely. I think this is a fascinating moment because it's a turning point culturally after the huge seismic changes of the 20th century, two world wars, the end of empire, the end of the Cold War, that now people are becoming more literate and more engaged with information. We live in an information age and they are starting to question narratives of history that have been handed down far less critically in the past. And this is a truly global story. If you look at my mother's country, Ghana, they have removed a statue of Gandhi from the University of Lagos in the capital city Accra because of Gandhi's history um, of racism towards Africans, especially in the apartheid context of South Africa. If you look in Eastern Europe, countries like Lithuania, which are having a new dialogue about their statues from the Stalinist era and what to do with them. Um, So it's really a broad subject. And I think the thing that all of these different countries have in common is this sense that they cannot move forward into a healthy future until they deal with these ghosts of the past. And I think... Britain stands apart slightly in that it's not engaging in the project. You know, at least America is having the debate about Confederate statues. At least Lithuania and Ukraine are trying to work out what to do with Stalin and Lenin. But we have done nothing, basically. And we've characterised students who want roads to come down as a bunch of snowflakes. Um, I was hugely trolled and attacked when I suggested that we dare to look again at Admiral Nelson. And I think that we can't afford to be left out of this movement of recontextualising and re-questioning our past because... There are many British people who are uncomfortable with this history and it's alienating them from their own sense of Britishness. So which specific people in Britain, which British figures are we talking about in terms of this debate? The documentary I'm making at the moment is very much centred on Nelson and Winston Churchill. And the reason for that is that they are, what they have in common is huge military and in Nelson's case, naval victories that secured the existential future of Britain as a nation against this huge threat of Nazism and and in uh, Nelson's case against the French. So they are on some level rightly, you know, heroes of British history and um, the saviour of the British nation. And that explains, I think, why they are idolised and glorified to the extent that they are. But they both have in their legacy a very dark history of racism, of complicity in a system that, that Uh, committed atrocities against people of other races. And so I think that they both should be studied in the light of both of those aspects of their legacy. And unfortunately, I feel that in this country, we glorify the convenient celebratory aspects of the past, but we are not willing to confront the uncomfortable truths. And we are perpetuating this idea that you have to choose, you know, that if you do what I'm trying to do, which is ask questions about the other side of their history, you're somehow unpatriotic or you hate this country or you want everybody to feel bad and feel guilty. And I'm saying you can have both things. So it's about being able to question their legacy, not necessarily write it off entirely. Yes. And if you read the column that I wrote that started all this, I wasn't literally saying that we should topple Nelson's column tomorrow, as some people have characterised me as saying. What I'm actually saying is that far from wanting to erase history, I want to restore it fully. I want the facts to be on the table. I want people to be educated about it. I want there to be dialogue. 
Um, and, and sometimes if you remove a statue, you make that harder. But what I'm not comfortable with is the status quo. And I think we're far too quick to say, OK, we leave the statue and we'll contextualise it. And we don't contextualise it. We do nothing. If you look at the plaques around these statues in Whitehall, for example, that, I mean, you know, some people joke that um, if you kill 100 people, you have a life prison sentence. If you kill a million people, you get a statue commemorating you on Whitehall, you know, and calling that part of central London murder mile. And I think that um, we can't just allow the status quo. We have to do something. And sometimes we do need a bit of a radical wake up call to start really engaging with this history. So do you think we should remove these statues? I think that there should be a debate. I think that people should be informed and then decide. And the thing that I found really remarkable about Nelson when I wrote about him was how few people had any idea that he even coexisted with the slave trade. You know, it's basic ignorance that, you know, Britain's the main role of the Navy in the 18th century. Um, it was partly to defend Britain's security and it was partly to secure Britain's interests in the Caribbean. And those were slavery interests around the sugar economy. And that was the fundamental role um, of our military. And I think people don't know that. They don't know that great naval figures were both protecting Britain from the French and they were also protecting Britain from um, any any threat to the slavery and plantation system. So, I, so much is at stake here. It's not just Nelson, it's everything that he represents. And I think if you grew up here, in, as I did, and went to school here and consume our literature and our history as I have, you see the ways this is systematically erased. You know, if I, I grew up loving Jane Austen and Charlotte Bronte and, you know, these um, aristocrats of the 18th century are often described in in terms of their kind of being West India merchants, you know, which is a very sanitised way of saying they were slave traders or they owned plantations and owned slaves. And I think there are lots of different ways we just downplay this. Um, and, and the resulting impression is that we just have a huge misunderstanding about our history. And that can't be a healthy thing for a, a modern information age nation to have. Mm. So how does the programme go about uh, adding to this information? Well, it's a Channel 4 documentary, so it's a little bit cheeky and uh, it's a little bit naughty. And we have um, done some things that, that I think push the boundaries, really. And, and and the reason for that is not to be gratuitously provocative, but to make people think about what is the right way to approach this. So we may have taken some guerrilla action to um, contextualise the information around certain statues. I don't want to give too much away. Um, but we are looking at the statues. We're looking at the history around them. We're, we're speaking to people from all sides of the spectrum. You know, I interviewed a professor in Oxford who thinks the empire was good and a great thing and that we should praise it. I mean, it's right that we celebrate it. And I have spoken to someone who thinks that Statue of Rhodes should come down and we should not commemorate any of our colonial figures. We're going to Germany to talk about the way Germany relates to its history, which is very different from Britain. Um, and we're going to the US to see a Confederate statue falling down so that we can see just how heated and politicised that um, event can become. So um, it's it's about our relationship with our history here in Britain, but it's definitely a global story and we're speaking to people from all over the world. Mm. You touched on this earlier. Why do you think Britain as a country has this complicated relationship with its past and with its statues that other countries seem not to have to quite the same extent? 
I think there are a few reasons why Britain has this really specific denial. One of them, the main one, is that we won the Second World War. And I think our version of history is very much a victor's version of history. It's this confidence that we were on the right side of history and we're not interested in engaging with anything that complicates that because it's not convenient. And actually, if you look at our political leaders, you know, if you look at Gordon Brown, Michael Gove, David Cameron, across the political spectrum, what they have in common is the way they talk about history as a celebratory subject. You know, they have said we should be promoting the celebratory aspects of British history in schools. That's the role of the history curriculum. Now, I personally find that very problematic. You know, I think of us as a nation that prides ourselves on intellectual curiosity and rigour. Um, you know, the oldest universities in in the English language world, in, in Europe, and a culture of reading and going to National Trust properties and making period dramas. And, you know, we are a country that's interested and engaged with history. And yet for us to promote a kind of propagandist approach to children. I think it's completely um, it's completely against what I regard to be British values. So I think that there is this sense that history is a celebratory subject because we won the war. And then the other reason, I think, is because of the end of empire, that the empire was such a huge part of British history in the past millennium, you know, in the past 500 years. And it ended in the last century um, without any huge wars, with the exception of a few countries like Rhodesia. And there is a sense that the British Empire wasn't as bad as the French Empire or the Belgians, or the Portuguese. It was more humane. And and then at the same time, the effects of empire have hugely shaped modern Britain. You know, we're a multicultural society because of people from the empire who came here. And for all of these reasons, Britain has not confronted the imperial reality, you know, the fact that the empire may have built some infrastructure, which um, plays a positive role, but at the same time was based on a white supremacist ideology and that taught generations of people that they were inferior to white English people and that that is a legacy that persists because it's an intergenerational thing that gets handed down. And I think it's very, very uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for people from the empire. You know, my mother comes from Ghana, which she was born in the Gold Coast, as it then was and was taught in school that white English people were superior, you know, and, and these are things that are very present. And I think it is painful, but I just don't think there is an alternative other than to look at it. How much leeway do you give people in the past for the fact that their views were the views that were held then? Yeah, this is often an argument that's made. You know, Nelson was a product of his time. I think there are two things to say about that. One, it's not based on fact. So if you look at Nelson when he was advocating in favour of the slave trade, for example, um, it was the same time that William Wilberforce was actively campaigning for abolition. It was just a couple of years away from the act that abolished the transatlantic slave trade. And I mention Wilberforce not because he was by any means the only person involved in abolition. In fact, there were many African campaigners, writers, intellectuals, in Britain who played a huge role in abolition and we tend to forget them. And I think that's really important. Um, but, you know, if you take, I, I, I take Wilberforce's example because he lived in um, uh, Merton in, in Wimbledon in the same place that I live and the same place that Nelson lived. So they were contemporaries in the same part of London operating in Parliament around the same time. And Nelson was very much on the wrong side of history, even by the standards of his time. So I think that that argument is, is spurious. And then on the other, the other side of the argument is to me that 
You know, I think that's a very low opinion of British morality. There were always people in this country who did not accept the ideology that Africans should be treated like chattels and traded like animals. You know, there were always people who opposed it, who um, rose up against it, who tried to change it. And so I think that it's it's it would be tragic to airbrush them out and cast Britain as a country that accepted this. Um, and, and so in a way, I think, you know, a, a more... Um, patriotic view of history is to recognise that this country has always had um, a moral streak and a humane streak and that some of the people we celebrate as heroes were on the wrong side of that. So would your argument therefore to be to leave these statues up but to provide information about the full picture of who they were and when they lived? I do think there should be a debate because um, the problem with leaving statues up is that it even if you do contextualise them, for example, if you put plaques around them explaining the history in full, there is something about putting someone in an elevated position, you know, physically raised above everybody else that is inherently glorifying, I think. And that is problematic. And so I, you know, I'm personally not a big fan of statues. I find them quite phallic kind of um, idealistic objects that, you know, they 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 don't really create a space to acknowledge that everybody is complex and flawed and all of our heroes. I mean, you know, we, people often kind of throw Nelson Mandela back at me and say he was a terrorist. And I think, you know, I regard him as on the right side of history because his, uh, what people call his terrorism was campaigning for his his people to be recognised as part of basic humanity, which they were denied under apartheid. But, you know, I would like us to have a full understanding of all of these histories, not just the histories of British imperial figures. So I think statues aren't necessarily a very helpful way of doing that. However, um, I think that some of these statues have become part of people's sense of identity. And I respect that. You know, my interest is actually in identity. It's what the book that I've just written, Brit-ish, is about identity. And I can understand that people have this emotional relationship with things like Nelson's Column. You know, it's a landmark. It's part of central London. People have grown up visiting it and so their grandparents. And I wouldn't be quick to say we should just smash that down. But I do think um, we should make a decision knowing the facts. And at the moment, most people don't know the facts. And so it's not a very uh reasonable debate. So would it be something that we could have a re- like a public referendum on, for instance? Yeah, possibly. And I think it would be good to explore all the options. So we don't have a museum to empire, which I find remarkable given the importance of the empire in British history. We have um, um, a couple of museums to slavery, but that's kind of decontextualised from the rest of the empire in the imperial project. We have the odd exhibition to empire, you know, the Tate had one. I think the Museum of London had one recently so but we don't have a place where you can go and understand the empire and if we did have such a place that would be a great venue for putting the statues of these imperial figures where we could look at them and understand the good things they did for the country but also understand how they fed into the more toxic and uh Uh, criminal aspects of imperial history. So, you know, that's one solution. And if you look at some of the former Soviet countries, they've created special parks and special places where they put these statues and you can go and look at them and you can touch them and you can get up close to this part of history, but it is given a context. Given that you think statues are kind of problematic anyway, are there any figures who you would like to see statues of who you think are less problematic than some of the people who do currently stand in these public spaces? 
Not really, because I don't like statues. I mean, there are there are figures who I would like to be remembered. So people like Ignatius Sancho, for example, who was a, a remarkable abolitionist, you know, born into slavery himself, became a writer and an activist at a time when people who looked like him were much more likely to be slaves on plantations. And, um, you know, had a shop, had his own business in Westminster. And when I found out about him, um, I was working in the area and I just thought, you know, this is Whitehall. I walked past these statues of imperialists and these incredible people who overcame the most remarkable odds to become part of history and leave a written legacy and become the first published authors in the English language of African heritage. Um, they are completely invisible. They're not commemorated. There's not even a blue plaque on the, the building that still stands where they lived and worked. So um, people like him or people like Kwame Nkrumah, who gained independence for Ghana, which precipitated the end of British imperial rule in Africa, which is a huge event for world history. And he went to the LSE and a lot of his activism was created here in London. So um, I find it remarkable that most British people don't know who he is. So there are people who I would like to see commemorated. But I, I as I said, statues are not my preferred way of doing it. What would you say to people who say that actually statues do provoke debate and that is part of their function? Well, I grew up here and I grew up looking at these statues and I think it fed into me, for me, to a sense that um, great people who accomplish important things in history are white men. Because that is the message you get, actually, if you walk around as, you know, completely innocent with no um, kind of agenda. You walk around and, and you see these images of these great white men and they're elevated and they're idealised and you feel that that those are the people who matter. So I grew up looking at these figures and there was no debate. Nobody ever suggested that there was anything wrong with these people, that there were other people, there were women, there were people of colour um, who also achieved amazing things in history, huge contributions to humanity and Britain's progress. Um, so I don't see any debate having been raging all my life. Um, and when somebody like me suggests we should have a debate, I mean, it was remarkable to see the debate that it started. But the flip side is that I got massively trolled and attacked and not just by, you know, kind of uh, obscure racist people, you know, in a lonely room at their laptop, but by columnists and editors and people who are my professional colleagues who um, attacked me personally for having the audacity to have an opinion about this, which ironically kind of made me redouble my effort because it showed me just how bad the situation is that when somebody suggests a debate, it can be met with such defensiveness and hostility. And I think that's actually ironically very good evidence of how badly a debate needs to happen. But the idea that we're all doing it anyway is not true in my, in my personal experience. In the course of making the programme, did you manage to change people's minds? Yes, I am um, quite, um, I, what's, how should I put this? I like to take people with me. I'm open-minded and I know I, people tell me that I come across as having very strong opinions. Um, maybe that's my training because I used to be a barrister. So I'm trained in advocacy and I, I, I guess I've spent time honing the art of being persuasive. But I like to persuade people, but I'm also genuinely interested in other people's stories and perspectives. You know, as I said, my interest is in identity. And I interviewed one historian who was sympathetic to my argument in the sense that he knew about the history I was talking about and, and respected it. But at the same time, he started talking 
talking about going to his grandfather's house as a little boy in Devon and his grandfather having a tea set on the breakfast table that had Nelson and mottos from Nelson and and images from the victory. And he actually got emotional during an interview and started crying because it evoked these memories from his childhood and, you know, his relationship with his grandparents. And that really moved me. And I, you know, I would never go up to somebody like that and say, we should smash down Nelson because I can understand his relationship with it is all tied in with his own memories and his own family story. So I think it is really important to listen to each other and engage. Um, And that's what I hope will come out of this. I want to learn where other people are coming from, but I also would like them to see things from my perspective. I'll tell you one thing that really touched me. We went to Bristol looking at Colston, who is a a, a notorious slave owner who's um, commemorated throughout Bristol. You know, there's streets and areas and halls named after him. And the reason is that part of the proceeds of his slavery profits, he, he used to donate to Bristol for charity projects. But I met a woman in Bristol who is actually a councillor now, and she's been at the forefront of this campaign. They call it Countering Colston, which I think really captures that spirit of not destroying the history, but wanting to contextualise it and show the other side to it. And she was saying that it really shaped her life because she went to a school that was named after Colston, and she has African heritage herself. Her father was from Jamaica, so, you know, a product of the transatlantic slave trade. And she started to understand this history at school, and she started lobbying her school to to begin educating the pupils about who Colston really was. And it made her very alienated from the school establishment. She felt penalised by it. It made her... um, stand out and feel quite othered. And she never was able to recover the kind of um, affection that she'd had with teachers and the school establishment after that. And it really affected her life. And she said she felt that she hadn't performed well at school from that point. And she felt quite persecuted. And I think, you know, sometimes... you look at these campaigns and it all seems quite academic, but this is people's lives. You know, this is people's identity and it's their outcomes and it's their sense of themselves. And for me, I really relate to that because I grew up as a mixed race child living in this country, feeling that people like me were invisible. At best, we were invisible. At worst, our only legacy was that we were a footnote as slaves um, or kind of savages who needed to be civilized by the empire. And, you know, that's a very damaging and toxic thing to teach children. And I think what people don't realise is that not doing anything is not a neutral option. Not doing anything is continuing that message. And that's why I think we all need to be much more aware of the consequences. So, so, so far, filming this has actually reaffirmed and strengthened my belief in this. But as I said, I'm open-minded and I am looking forward to hearing. And I think when we come to Churchill, we will... encounter people who feel very strongly on the other on the other side so it's not about deleting people from history it's about making sure that people are added to this story who are absent at the moment it's absolutely the opposite of deleting people or facts from history it's inspired by a frustration at how much of history is currently deleted and that is the the only reason for doing this that i i've realized the more i've learned through my independent research and study the very selective version of history that i have been given and i've studied at some of the best educational establishments in the country you know i went to oxford university which was a huge privilege but left me 15 years later, wondering how I studied philosophers like Locke and Hume and admired their work. And at no point was it part of the syllabus or the reading material or the conversation that they helped invent pseudoscientific slavery, which played a huge role in the slave trade. So 
these things have been deleted from the record and they have been swept under the carpet. And I want history to be understood and discussed in all its fullness. How would you like this series and your forthcoming book to change how people see British history and its public spaces today, I guess? I hope this will make people think about British history. It will make them question this idea that history should automatically be something to celebrate and that this has real human consequences, that this history is not dead and buried. It's very much playing itself out in the lives of people today. And I hope that then that understanding will then feed into people's relationship with the built environment, you know, with the um, buildings and the statues and the books around us, that we will start being more critical. And most of all, I would like to say, I don't think this is an issue for people like me, people with minority heritage or African descent to own. This isn't our problem. This is all of our issue. We all live in this society. We all absorb this narrative. And I think that we all need to understand how it's affected our individual identities, because there's no one who's not affected by this. And it's about as much about whiteness as it is about blackness and other minority identities. So I think that I, I hope people start to see this is a mainstream issue. It's not a footnote. It's not an aside. It's not niche. It is history. And we all need to engage with it honestly. That was Afwa Hirsch. The Battle for Britain's Heroes begins today, the 29th of May, at 9pm on Channel 4. And Afwa's book, British, on race, identity and belonging, is out now, published by Jonathan Cape. And that is about all for today, but please do listen in on Thursday, when we'll be joined by Sarah Churchwell and Adam I.P. Smith to explore some fascinating aspects of modern American history. Thanks for listening to this History Extra podcast, which was produced by Jack Fletcher. Do let us know what you think about this episode by emailing podcast at historyextra.com and we might read out your messages in future editions. Alternatively, why not keep in touch via Twitter or Facebook, where you'll find us at History Extra. For more great history content, don't forget to visit our website, historyextra.com, which is full of history articles, quizzes, image galleries and more. Plus, it's where you can download hundreds of previous episodes of this podcast. A collision between a Chinese jet and an American spy plane. He came and rammed into our left wing. With relations increasingly strained, what are the chances of things spinning out of control? The Western world was asleep. I'm Gordon Carrera. I'll be exploring the friction in this most important of relationships and asking, has the West taken its eye off the ball? You cannot ignore China. From BBC Radio 4, this is Shadow War, China and the West. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.